we've seen the gospel uh, be twisted a little bit, where we've seen it it gone astray from what it was intended to be. How at times you could see tradition being elevated and protected in such a way that it could stand in the way of transformation. And that's thinking back to how the, the Jews of the day said, no, you need to follow the law first if you want to be following Christ. We could see how if we incorrectly elevate uh, our own works and our own accomplishments that we could begin to think that we ourselves are becoming righteous because of what we do instead of what Christ has already done. We've talked about how the gospel can be incorrectly used for gain, where there would be certain teachers teaching in a way that they would work to, to gain something, profit from the gospel itself. And I think those were fairly easy to see that we saw them throughout Scripture and we could see them as they came into our life today. I think the next one that we're going to go through together is probably the one that I'm most afraid about preaching. And it's Jesus plus power. What happens when the gospel gets skewed by people's desire for power? I'd like to preface this week by saying I might offend people. Maybe not Mike. Maybe I'll offend all of us at some point. And I'd like to say I, these are not phrases that were written on a whim this morning at 6 a.m. Hey. But they were labored over for probably longer than I've ever labored over a sermon. Labored over for months. And so I encourage you, if you hear something that hits you and makes you feel uncomfortable, if you hear something that maybe it offends you or strikes you in the wrong way, don't close yourself off. We as Christians are people that should lean into that discomfort. I, I was just talking to Shelly this morning, and she said, it's like when a husband and wife have an argument and one says something that makes the other feel uncomfortable, or they have something hard to talk about, they don't just completely ignore it. They need to recognize and listen and see if there is truth in what the other has to say. And so I ask you, discerningly lean in and consider what hard truth might be heard. We're going to journey through Scripture today thinking about power and its relationship to Christianity as one of the elephants in the room, so to speak. We're going to journey through Scripture and consider how it is that we ourselves bow down to authority in ways that we perhaps shouldn't. When we think about power in God's kingdom, there's two questions I think we can ask. Are we building our own kingdom? Or is God building his kingdom through us? One really is exerting our own will, our own power in a, in a way, using perhaps Christian-sounding phrases to build 
something up for ourselves and maybe even the people that we love. The, the other, though, the other honor is Christ. Setting ourselves right at, at his feet, recognizing him as, as Lord of all, as, as he uses us in our weaknesses as conduits for his transformation. There's a book, Playing God, by Andy Crouch, and it's redeeming the gift of power. Oftentimes, I don't think we think of power as a gift. It's not always the way it's seen. That's because we've seen all of the bad ways that power can be used. We've seen all the ways that power can go wrong. Perhaps you could think about laws that were created to protect things because of how power went wrong and power was used for some individual's own advantage. When we think about power, we can go throughout history and see a variety of the ways that power was used. Power in Christianity intersects at this man named Constantine. Has anyone ever heard of Constantine? He was a Roman ruler that, that used his power as the Roman ruler uh, to give the Edict of Milan, which was to make Christianity legal. Power used perhaps in a good way, but the interesting thing about Constantine is that he was not baptized when he declared Christianity legal. He was not baptized until way later in life. He believed that once you were baptized, you could no longer be forgiven for what you would have done. So he waited until his deathbed so he could do all his work as the Roman emperor and, and take care of all the business and then at the end of his life be then forgiven for everything that he had done. There's other rulers too that use their power If you're not familiar with Charlemagne, Charlemagne had this desire to unite the German area underneath the rule of God. He wanted to unite them as Christians, but there was this one group of people, the Saxons, that really didn't want anything to do with Christ. And so he gave them an option. He kind of said, well, if you protest too much, this forced baptism of becoming Christian, you can die. And so he took the approach of be baptized or die to unite the people in Germany under the rule of Christ. Unfortunately, he's not the only ruler that chose to use that method. We would journey from Germany up to Norway. We would find a man named St. Olaf of Norway. He, too, had that approach be baptized or die. Abuse of authority throughout history where we see those who claim Christ using their power in a manner that we would probably not agree with. My family, we trace our lineage back to the Netherlands. And there's many of you, I'm sure, too, that trace your lineage back to the Netherlands. And, and those who immigrated from the Netherlands to the United States to a point
might experience some type of abuse of power. It was King William I that, that was king at the time, and he desired to control the churches within Netherlands, creating the state department of religion that would oversee all of the churches. It would control the worship of the churches. You can see how the worship of the churches then was brought into the bureaucracy of the government, and the, the devout believers of the day did not believe that was the way it should be. As historian Dr. James Bratt writes this, that creating of the State Department of Religion completed a process that had begun to alienate them a whole century before removing control of religious affairs from the local level and making the church more a promoter of social unity than a body of fervent believers. In this state church, they heard a gospel that was preached that was less about the forgiveness of sins and more about the accomplishments and achievements that you did. You don't remember a couple weeks ago we said that's wrong so what followed was a group of fervent believers led by people like with the names of Stolte and Van Ralte and others who left the state church of the Netherlands for the land of the free you could say to the land that had freedom of religion or if you it another way, or put it another way, you could say they moved to a land where they would have power and authority over how they would worship. When we consider all of these different ways, those people that were building their own kingdom, perhaps like William I, or Charlemagne, or St. Olaf, I think of this phrase, Emily mentioned it during her prayer from a pastor, retired pastor and friend, Ed Taminga. He said, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. As we think about Jesus plus power in the Lordship of Christ, we're going to head to the book of Luke, chapter 4. If you want to journey with me there, it'll be in the Black Bible, Bibles, page 834. And in the student Bibles, it'll be page 1,255. And we're actually, unlike the bulletin says, we're not going to start at verse 1. We're going to just focus in on uh, verses 5 through 8. Now, this is during uh, Jesus' temptation of the devil. When the devil came to him, Shortly after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came upon Jesus. The Spirit drove Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this is the second temptation of the devil. It says, The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship 
the Lord your God and serve him only. I'll give you all the authority over all the kingdoms of the world. You know, Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. Jesus was was fully human, experiencing everything the, the same way, in the same manner that you and I would experience it. And so the, the devil looked to entice Jesus with the allure of authority and the allure of power. It was that allure that he thought was going to stop the course of Jesus' purpose, which was to, to not to come in power, but to come in humility and service, giving himself up for salvation. I think the playbook of the devil often comes back to that word, power. He entices people in every generation in various ways with the allure and lie of power as it invades our minds. If we headed back to Genesis chapter 3, we would see power in a different way. We would see how, how the serpent came to Eve and enticed her with power by saying, no, you won't die. That would be verse 4. But God knows that when you eat of this, you will, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't you see, Eve, there is a power that God is holding back from you. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to gain power. You're going to gain authority to know what is good and evil, and you will become like God, the enticement of power and authority. This enticement of power and authority can corrupt our mind, too, thinking that God is perhaps trying to hold something back from us, that if we we just give into it a little bit more or, or push in this way that we'll gain something that we never had before. But I think when we think of power, there's actually other words here in America that we know power by. And it's the word freedom. We know power by the word of opportunity. We know power and authority by the word rights. Freedom, opportunity, and rights are the way that the devil comes into our life to entice us with something that we believe should be ours. He shows us all the rights, all the freedom, op all the opportunity in the world and says all of this, all the freedom, all the opportunity, all the things in the world, they can be yours if you just bow down to me. All of these things. He shows us in an instant trying to entice us with 
his power and something of the world, and we go back to those two questions. Are we building our kingdom? Or is God building his kingdom through us? In our fight against the allure of power, we must be aware that there will be people who try to use Scripture as a way to gain power. If we went to the next temptation of Jesus, the the third temptation of Jesus, that actually also is in the playbook of the devil, where the devil uses Scripture to try to get Jesus to test God in what God's Word said. Throw yourself off this high point of the temple, for the Lord says he will He will command his angels to save you. Of which Jesus says, you shall not test the Lord your God. As we consider those who perhaps use words of scripture or even Christianity as a method of gaining power. I did some reading and I found it was interesting. This is where it might become uncomfortable. Out of all 45 presidents in the United States, so there's 46 presidencies, right, time periods, 45 presidents, that's because one president had two different terms, okay? Of the 45 different presidents, only two did not claim Christianity publicly. Those two would be Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson famously took the Bible and ripped out a bunch of pages. He crossed things out, and he was left with a book probably about, you know, this thick that was the teachings of Jesus. But beyond that, of the 43 others, they publicly claimed 11 Episcopalians, 8 Presbyterians, 4 Baptists, 4 Unitarians, 2 Catholics, 2 Dutch Reformed, 2 Quakers, 3 Methodists, 2 Disciples of Christ, one Congregationalist, and four just labeled as Christians. Of which one of those, Andrew Johnson, said he was a Christian, but he was never formally a part of a denomination or even ever attended a church. With so many presidents who claim Christ, publicly claim Christ, historian and author Robert Bellow remarks, A cynical observer, a cynical observer might even say that the American president must mention God or risk losing votes. People using scripture and public piety as a method of gaining power. I would even say more cynically, the president must use some type of vague notion about God. It doesn't even need to be about the triune God that we believe in, but if they mention God, if they're sorry, if they don't mention God, then they will not be able to seek the power that they desire. I think it's pretty common if we went and looked throughout history at all 43 of these presidents that we would we would find those that did not live according to the call that Christ would have put on their life 
for that claim. I have two that come to mind, and they were before my voting time. President Nixon, a Quaker, and President Clinton, a Baptist, both whose presidencies contained scandals, both whose presidencies contained public lies, contrary to the Christ, contrary to the call of Christ. Richard Mao, former Calvin University uh, professor, as well as the, the uh, president of Fuller Seminary, or he was president emeritus, he writes this, we must be careful. Christians need to work hard at keeping patriotic feelings in proper bounds. There is nothing wrong with loving our country simply because it is my country just as I love my parents simply because they're my parents, he writes. But this does not put our country beyond criticism. To honor our nation in a godly manner is to want it to contribute to the cause of Christ's kingdom. To love our country with a Christian love is to want our nation to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk in humility before the face of the Lord. I think this intertwining of political power and Christianity is the elephant in the room that has developed recently. But I think it's one of those things that's easy to point at. And I think it's really easy to point at other people in the way that they perhaps use and abuse power or where they use Christianity for their advantage and instead of pointing back to ourself and wondering where is it that we are being enticed with the, the power and the authority and the kingdoms that we could develop in our name. And I wonder, I wonder where is it that, that we, if we walked in humility were the Lord, with the Lord, where would it would it be that we would find that we are building our own kingdom instead of letting God build his kingdom through us? Do we bow down to our own authority as we, as we simultaneously bow down to a sports culture that has invaded opportunities for communal worship with tournaments on Sundays? Do we bow down to an attraction to self-care, bowing down to the authority over our time in a movement that in reality is only selfishness disguised in healthcare terms? Where we have a desire for time for ourselves, and who cares if it takes up opportunities to submit ourselves to the Lord and service to Him? Do we bow down to power over money, bowing down to employers that demand more and more and more that cause us to have less time for everything else? Do we bow down to the TV and the authority over our time, taking on endless 
bi- uh, binging of shows and, and movies while the Bible remains on the shelf gathering dust. Do we have authority in our time in such a way that prayer isn't in our vocabulary anymore? It's like the phone that we leave off the hook and we don't even hear the dial tone anymore. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Where in our life are are we choosing to hold back? Where in our life are we choosing our own way of authority over our life, saying, well, this is mine and I deserve it. It's my right. I have freedom to do this. It's, It's my opportunities to live in this way. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 26. Doesn't want to go there, Peyton. It says this, what, not there, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it if we gain authority and and we gain more money and we have more time and we watch more shows and we read more books and yet if it keeps us from the very thing that God desires us to have our life be all about? What is it if we gain all of these things and yet in the process lose our soul? Are we building our own kingdom or are we letting God build his kingdom through us? We just saw Jesus' response to the devil, verse 8 of chapter 4 in Luke. He says, it's written that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We don't serve anyone else. Jesus is the, the top authority figure. God, the Trinity, is the top authority figure in our life. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If in giving up the pursuit of our kingdom, if, if we choose to give up the pursuit of our kingdom, to not bow to the enticement of freedom, to not bow to the enticement of opportunity or the enticement of, of rights. It's really only then that God begins to work wonders in us and through his kingdom. And we see it in Christ. He didn't come in a way where he was going to gain power. He didn't come with authority in a a legion of angels. He didn't come in a way where he was going to build these group of people for a revolt against the the government of the day. You You didn't see Jesus do that. You didn't see him fight as he was in the garden and he, as he was going to be brought to the Sanhedrin for trial. But instead, what we witnessed with Christ and what we see in this verse is that it was Jesus himself that submitted himself to the will of the Father, even though he knew 
it wouldn't be a way paved with freedom and rights and opportunity in his life right then and there. He submitted to the Father because it was, it was his will that perhaps he knew at a later time would, would raise him from the dead by the power of the Spirit. It would be him in his weakness that the Spirit would do a work so great that we marvel today at it. It was Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. He didn't see this power as something that he wanted to use for his advantage. It wasn't something that he was, he was going to do. Divinity was not something he would use to make everyone bow down to him to say, well, be baptized or die. That's not what Jesus was about. He wasn't about the allure of power or freedom or opportunity or rights. And as we step away from those things, as we take further steps in submission to Christ, it's only there that we truly receive the true hope of what the gospel is. We find out that true hope is not found in more personal rest time. We find that true hope is, is not found in the next pursuit of something you want to purchase. True hope is not found in that next sports trophy. True hope is not found in a shifting political landscape. It's not found in the next president or the next governor. It's not found even in the American flag. True hope is not found in any nation's flag. True hope is only found when we submit ourselves to the authority of God and the authority of God only. Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Because it's God's will and his authority that will outlast everything, including this nation. It's God's will and his authority that has caused a fundamental change of the dynamics of power in the world where Jesus said that it would be the meek who inherit the earth. It was, it was God's will that we said that it was brought, bringing Jesus to life and it's God's will and his authority that can bring us to life. True hope found in God, in us letting God exercise his authority over us. When, when we let God implant his will over my own, it's only then that we find out that when we're weak, when we're humble, when we don't think that we have the power when we submit ourselves to him, that his power truly comes alive in us. The verses that Mindy read earlier to Paul, Paul saying he prayed time and time and time again for a thorn to be removed from his side. 
for something that was standing in his way, and the response was not to remove that. Instead, the response was saying, my grace is enough for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I'll boast more gladly about my weakness. We rarely like to boast in our weaknesses. But it's then when we boast in our weaknesses that Christ's power truly is able to rest on us. And so Paul went on to say, he's like, that's why I delight in weaknesses. I delight in in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, it's then that I am actually strong. The gospel is not a story of an exercise of our own power and authority. Instead, the gospel is a story where God takes his power in our weaknesses and makes it into something that we couldn't imagine on our own. So we delight in weakness. We delight in humility. We delight in serving one another just as Christ came to serve. We delight in doing the hard thing, submitting. Submitting to one another, but ultimately submitting to God. Because it's at that point in time when, when you delight in those things, when you're at your weakest, most vulnerable point, it's only then that you become strong. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't look for the most powerful people In fact, when powerful people came to Jesus, Jesus often sent them away, saying, you're holding on to something of your own kingdom, and you need to let that go and then follow me. Lord, we thank you how you continually exalt weakness, showing how Weakness is the way forward and how in weakness your power is shown and that your spirit is shown to be powerful. That it is in weakness that we are able to to follow you, to be strengthened by you and, and to make it through each and every day. Lord, it's our prayer that you would help us to consider in the days going forward Where is it that we have seen the allure of power? Where is it that we have thought about our rights, our opportunities, our freedom, and tried to use it for our advantage? Make us aware so that we may repent and that we may turn and that we will submit to you and follow you more fully each and every day. It's in Christ's name that we pray.